Thank you, Lord, for this word. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray this. Amen. So in this text, as we look at this and you dig into chapter 14 this week, you're going to notice that Paul gets after two kinds of people in the church. There's the weak, the weak sibling, and the strong sibling. And he's writing to the church on how these two kinds of people should interact and speak with one another and work through their differences. And today as we look at this, I believe we're gonna learn about not just the weak and the strong, but also the reality of who we are and the way forward together. Really interesting, as I, as I learned about chapter 14, I always had this understanding that the weak brother or sister is typically the person who is new to faith. Someone who just, they don't know much about the Bible and about doctrine and about, and about what, what, what the scriptures say. They just came to Christ and so they're, they're new to faith. So they haven't done all the hard work of discipline and devotion and, and training and, 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 and discipleship. And so they're the weak brother. But what's really interesting about this text is as Paul writes to this, as he writes to the people of God, uh, a church that is the, the major issue at the time is that you have these Gentile Christians who are the predominantly majority in the Roman church. Contextually, the emperor at the time had expelled all the Jews from Rome, and so the, 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 the Jewish Christians were not a presence in the early beginnings of the Roman church, and then they're welcomed back in after this expulsion is gone, and they're starting to join into this predominantly Gentile church, and they're bringing in all of their Old Testament background, that they grew up in, in the ways of God, in the ways of what they would call the Torah, the law, the ceremony, the, the, the tradition the religion of being a Jew. And what's really interesting here is that for Paul, the weaker sibling is not the brand new Gentile Christian, not the one who just discovered the grace of Jesus, it's actually the Jewish Christian. And the weak in this perspective, from Paul's perspective, is actually the person who's getting hung up on what we would call the non-essentials. It's the person who's hung up on the non-essentials. What do we mean by non-essentials? Non-essentials would be those things that, that are debated in scriptures, those things where there seems to be a great argument for one and a great argument for another. They, 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 they're not necessarily uh, uh, speak into your salvation and into the grace of God and into the, the foundational aspects of the confession of our faith, but they are taught in scriptures. But they tend to be more about opinions and about convictions and about your background and your traditions. And so here, Paul writes, when he, when he references the weak brother or sister, he's actually writing about the person who probably had very good knowledge of who God is who probably grew up in the faith of who Yahweh is, 
who probably was a good overall person at practicing the ways of, of good ethics of the ways of the Torah, who probably regularly went to the temple, who probably regularly prayed the Shema, who probably knew way more than the Gentile Christian. We see it here as Paul gets into this in verse two. It says, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, there's debate amongst commentators about what he's referencing here. If you go to 1 Corinthians 8, there seems to be a similar issue in the church in Corinth. And at that time, there were these new believers who, who, who were pagans who, who uh, did, didn't feel comfortable eating any sort of meat because they didn't know if that meat had been sacrificed to idols. And they were uncomfortable because they didn't want to eat meat that reminded them of their old pagan practices. Some commentators believe that. Some commentators believe these were just really legalistic people. People that were so caught up in the, the legalism of it all, and some commentators say, well, maybe these were aesthetics. People that were all about just abstaining from the pleasures of this world. It seems to be, though, knowing the context of Romans, that Paul is writing about the Jew and the Gentile. Because we just been, we've been working through Romans 9 through 11, which is all about this relationship. And so he's continuing this conversation, and he's writing to the church, and he's writing to the people who have kosher laws, who are practicing the Sabbath. If you look in verse 5, they talk about this. And, and here, the weak person is the Jewish believer. One of the great commentators, John Stott, has a great commentary, commentary on Romans. He said this, the weak are any Christians, I'm sorry, if we are trying to picture a weaker brother or sister, we must not envisage a vulnerable Christian, easily overcome by temptation, but a sensitive Christian, full of indecision and scruples. What the weak lack is not strength of self-control, quite the contrary, but liberty of conscience, freedom of conscience. Tim Keller says this, he says, the weak are any Christians who tend to promote and regard non-essential cultural and ceremonial customs as being critical for Christian maturity and effectiveness. So he's writing to this, and what I love here in the following verses is Paul gives a correction for the weak. He gives some corrections and, some, and, and, and explains why he calls the weak, why he calls the person who's hung up on the non-essentials to, 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 to redirect. And the correction is really simple. Simply this, stop judging non-essentials. Stop judging, that's the word, judging. You're gonna see this throughout the entire text non-essentials. Look at what he says. We'll read verses three and following. It says this. That not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, but not the one who abstains pass judgment, circle that word judgment, on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
He's saying here, God's the master, not you. God's the judge, not you. He expands this. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another, another esteems all days alike. He's talking about the Sabbath here. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There's a call here to the church. You should have conviction. You should follow your conscience. He's not telling you to disobey your conscience. But the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. And give thanks to God. He's calling us. Look at the heart of the, of the brethren. He says, for none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. He's reminding the church here of the gospel. He's reminding the church that Jesus purchased you with his blood and that you belong to him. And so out of your belonging, you shouldn't get hung up on the non-essentials. This is a word for the church, not to get hung up on the non-essentials. Now for us, In this day, this probably doesn't relate as much to Sabbath, maybe for some of us. It probably doesn't relate as much to uh, whether we're eating kosher or not. It could. But for many of us in the church who've grown up in the church or been a part of the church, oftentimes this can relate to all sorts of different kind of hangups. Perhaps it relates to theology, to, to, to where you land on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. On, on more of a Calvinism side or more of an Arminian side. Perhaps it relates to how you view baptism. Perhaps it relates to whether we should sing all hymns in church or whether we should sing praise music in church. Perhaps it relates to, to, to where you drink your coffee. Perhaps it relates to what you wear and what's acceptable. I believe these are all non-essential, important, but non-essential issues that Paul is addressing here as we think about this principle that he's working with the church. Don't get hung up on that. Don't, Don't stop gathering together and welcoming one another just because you're hung up on these non-essentials. And maybe you're like me and you're like, yeah, give it to them, Paul. And you're like, yeah, those people. But what's really interesting here is he also writes to what we would call the strong sibling. The person who maybe they're, they're new or, or, or maybe in this case, they've just been overwhelmed with the grace of God and they, they're, they're, they've experienced this freedom in the grace of God. Maybe they're new to church and they don't know the things that you're supposed to do, the, the ways you're supposed to act and walk and talk. And, and, and they're, just, they're, just, they're just so... Uh, excited about the grace of God. And what's really interesting here is actually, actually most of this passage is written for these people. Most of this text in chapter 14, Paul is writing to the person 
the, the, the strong person. And this person is also hung up. They're also experiencing this, this, this experience of being hung up and frustrated by the Jewish person who, who's, who's so, who just can't quite let go of yet these ceremonial practices, this, this dietary issues or this Sabbath practice. And what's interesting is their hang up is that they, hear this, they are hung up on the hung up. They are hung up on the hung up. They don't understand why other people are hung up on these things and they are developing, actually in in verse three he says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Look at this, they're not judging, they're doing worse, they're despising. Oh boy. And Paul's telling the church, that's not acceptable. He's saying you cannot despise the brother or sister who's hung up on something that you're not hung up on. He just says you can't do this in the church. Why? For God has welcomed him or her. And so as we think about this hung up, the correction also for the strong brother, for the person who's hung up on the hung up is this. Stop being a stumbling block. It's really interesting. Paul doesn't say, go and make sure that this person who's hung up changes all their ways. Go and make sure that they stop observing these dietary laws. Go and make sure that the Jewish Christian stops practicing Sabbath because we have new freedom in Christ. He doesn't say any of that. He actually says for you, brother, sister, for the sake of unity, he says, you're being a stumbling block to the hung up. This is a challenging word in our day and age. It's a challenging word for me. Look at verse three and following. I'm I'm sorry, verse 13 and following. It says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide, decide. That's a decision, a commitment to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Notice here, as Paul's writing to the church, he's not talking about putting a stumbling block to the way of a fellow churchgoer, or even a fellow consumer, or even the person that sits next to you in the pew. He calls this person who's hung up a brother, a sister. These covenantal bonds that we are united in because of the adoption we've experienced in Christ that we learned about in chapter five and six. Now notice here, Paul says this, but notice his conviction. He does not compromise the things that he believed to be true. He says this, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean itself but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Paul says, I believe that we have freedom in Christ. There's this liberty that you can have, but if your brother or your sister is hung up, you must honor that. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
Now, he's not literally saying like you destroy them. You can't do that, but you can, you can truly destroy their paradigm. You could destroy their, their, their understanding of, 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 and their conscience and cause them to, to compromise their own convictions. He says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. He's calling us to this. Now, a little important note here. When Paul is calling us not to judge, he's not saying that we shouldn't judge sin as sin. That would be denying all of the scriptures that talk about what sin is sin and the work of the church of, of, of repenting of sin and constantly as a church. Remember earlier in chapter uh, 12 or 13, he says that we must be sincere to each other and sincerity is to speak the truth in love. And so he's not here saying, hey, if your brother or your sister, they're living in a way that is blatant sin. He's not saying, you know what, just welcome them, uh, don't worry. No, he's talking about, remember this, this is important, the non-essentials. The things in the faith community that are debated, that, 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 that the scriptures could, as you read them and you develop your convictions about them, they're not completely, totally clear about. One great example of what we would say is an essential is the sexuality of the Bible of what the scriptures tell us about what a man and a woman is, about what the scriptures tell us about, about, about sex being saved for a monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. This is the way, the upside-down way of God. And Paul's not saying, you know what, don't call that something different. No, he's saying, well, this is sin. We should judge sin as sin. We still welcome people. But he is saying in other non-essential issues that we should have this welcome for each other. Do you understand the nuance here that Paul is getting at? He's speaking into a church that is getting hung up on the things that they should not be hung up on. And as we read this, as we think about this, I don't know about you, but I know about me, is I can read this text and I can think, oh man, there's some people that I hope are really listening today. Oh man, there's so many weak brothers. There's so many weak sisters. If only they could be strong like me. But here's the reality, church. This is the reality. We all get hung up. We all get hung up. This is why Paul's writing to the church. We have a tendency, I love we just saying, come thou found, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. We gotta have this moment of stepping out of the denial that we have our hangups. And we all get hung up. And today's word is not for your neighbor, it's for you. Today's word is not for that person that's been driving you crazy, it's for you, Pastor Logan. And the question is, how can we work through your hangups in Christ? I think as we read this text, you should ask yourself, where am I weak? 
What are some ways that maybe I, I've grown up in, in a tradition or a heritage or, or there's some nostalgia in me and, and I love it and it's rich, but I'm not gonna let that be a hang-up in the church that God's called me to. Where am I weak? And then maybe on the flip side, where are you strong? Perhaps you see things that other people in the church are hung up on, and even though you're strong, are you causing others to be a stumbling block? One major issue that, that we have in, in, in the faith today is what do you do with alcohol? There are some folks that are hung up and have a conviction that you shouldn't have a drop of alcohol or they have a, a history of addiction. And a brother or sister in Christ who maybe has experienced the freedom of of moderation, perhaps they've experienced and they've seen in scriptures that there does seem to be a space where it's, it's, it's okay, but they know that their brother or sister and they're at a, an event with them and they're, they're with them, I'm not gonna cause them to stumble, so I'm not gonna have a drop of this in their presence. This is kind of what it looks like to be not hung up by the hung up. Where are you weak and where are you strong? Because the confession, church, is we can all get so sick with non-essential hang-ups. The church can be so sick with non-essential hang-ups. But I want you to hear this. The kingdom of God is not about overcoming your hang-ups. It's about you and me being welcomed into new life in Christ. The kingdom of God is not about overcoming your hangups. You actually can't do that on your own. So this title was a little deceptive because today we're not talking about you overcoming your hangups. We're talking about Christ doing that for you. It's about new life in Christ. And I, I just see this right in verse 17, I think, is the, the pinnacle of this text. I see Paul writing to the church, and he's writing to the strong brother, and he's writing to the weak brother, and he's starting to, his blood is starting to boil, and he's starting to think about what Christ has done for him. He's starting to think about the road to Damascus. Paul, the Jew of all Jews, on his way to persecute Christians, and Jesus shows up with his grace and changes everything. And Paul thinks about this. And look at what he says in verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about that hang-up, beloved, but of righteousness. Righteousness, this is a, a, the word for the justification that we have by, by faith in Christ, the way of Jesus that we are invited into. And peace, shalom, the peace of knowing that Christ has paid it all. And what? Joy. I can't tell you how many times I think the church has been robbed of joy because of hangups. Because of preferences and opinions that are disordered. And Paul says all of this happens what? in the Holy Spirit. Remember, we were in an old Adam, Romans, earlier, chapter five and six. We were of the old Adam, but we have a new Adam, and in the, by this Adam, we have the very spirit, all who confess their faith, believe. 
And so the, really, the problem is, is for many of us, we're like Pastor Logan refusing to go to the doctors when he has a virus. What he needs to do is he needs to go to the doctors and he needs to get a Z-pack. And that's what I did this week. You're welcome. <laughs> and for many of us, what we need for our hangups is the grace of God. And we need to be reminded today as we think about what it looks like to be a church in this age, in this place, in your family, in the spaces that God has called you, the way of the church in the midst of all the hangups is this, a welcoming gospel conviction. A welcoming gospel conviction. This is why we do this, what we call the gospel welcome every single Sunday. Because we believe that it's not about making people feel comfortable, it's about being reminded of the fact that God has welcomed us. Look at verse chapter 15, one and following. In light of all this, Paul says this, we who are strong have an obligation. Does he say we who are strong have a suggestion? No, to bear with the failings, with the hangups of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Look at the why here, beloved. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Okay, Paul now takes it to another level. Not only are we to have this welcoming attitude, not now it has gone from the confines of the church to your neighbor, to the person who maybe doesn't even know Christ. Now he's taking it to another level of welcome. Why? To build him up. And then look at the why. For Christ himself did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches, or I might say the hangups, of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In verse seven, he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Beloved, as you think about your hangups, as I was just reflecting on this this morning, I was thinking about the way that Christ has thought about me. The way that God in his wisdom thinks about humanity. And my tendency to wander, my tendency to get distracted, my tendency to sin against God himself, and God in his wisdom does what? He says, no, you're too hung up. No. We have Christmas. We have the incarnation. We have that God became man, that he dwelt among us. And for our hung ups, he hung on a tree. And he died so that we could be made righteous. Do you see the wonder of the gospel and how this should change the way we think about the non-essentials? Ray Ortland, one of my favorite 
preachers said this. He said, I used to think that I was just welcoming people to church. But Romans 15, 7 has made me realize I'm welcoming people to Christ. I'm not trying to break the cultural ice. I'm aiming for spiritual renewal right then and there, and I'm longing for the welcome of Jesus to be a felt reality from the opening seconds of the service. This is the essential conviction of the church that Christ has changed everything and he is king. I love in our new denomination, the Kingdom Network, this is the central focus. We talk about the center set values at our congregational meeting in December. Um, We're actually, we'll confess these 12 or 11 values together, but I love number one and number two. It says this, our foundation is Jesus Christ. We have a passion for him and we love him. He is preeminent in all that we do and his fame is our concern. And then number four is this, we embrace the tradition articulated by Augustine. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. As you think about these hang-ups and working through the hang-ups, I pray that you remember that the correction for our hang-ups is the grace of God. And what's really interesting here I close with this. It seems to me as I was reading through this, there's these two verses that unify the church in the midst of all the different opinions and thoughts on the world. And the correction for our drift is actually this. We need to focus on worship. We need to focus on worship. It's really fascinating As Paul writes about these hang-ups happening in the church, and as he writes about this division, and and he's he's concerned about this, just look at verses five and six here. Look at verses five and six here. He says this. He says, may the God, this is a benediction, may the God, or a doxology, may the God of endurance, God's the one of endurance, he's the faithful one, and encouragement, he will encourage you when you're down, may he grant you, he does the work, to live in such harmony. Harmony, different voices, different perspectives, same tune. With one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, You may with what? Turn to the person next to you and say one voice. One voice. And what are you doing with that one voice? Are you correcting each other? Are you, no, what are you doing? You're glorifying God. You're worshiping God. You're saying, I was created for his glory. I am an image bearer. Let me reflect the goodness of the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the strong brother. This is the strong sister. It is the one who has internalized and been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this should inform the non-essentials. N.T. Wright said this. By weak in faith, he doesn't mean that the religious devotion of this group is thin and watery. 
nor does he mean to simply imply that they have a shaky grasp on the basic points of Christian faith or a wavering belief in them. His point, Paul's point rather, is that they have not worked out or not as fully as he and some others have done the consequences of believing in God as creator and Jesus as the crucified and risen Lord. When Christ is Lord and Christ is king, this changes everything. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your hang-up is. But I believe with all my heart that the more that we focus on the centrality of the gospel, the more that we will find ourselves singing in harmony despite our hang-ups. And perhaps on this Lord's Day, perhaps you're here and you're wondering, I don't even know much about this at all. Or maybe it's you found yourself stumbling in here and maybe your hang-ups are actually just sin and misery. Welcome to the club. I'm reminded, I'll close with this, I promise. But you love how preachers say I'll close with this and they close three times, sorry. I'm reminded of a few years ago I was at my son's uh, travel ball game in Fresno. And it was, uh, our team was up by one run and the tying run was at second. And a kid hit a ball to the shortstop, he made the play. The kid at second, there's one out, he's rounding second, he's rounding third, they make the play at home. His coach gives him the stop sign and the kid runs right through the stop sign. They throw it home, he slides, he's out. The kid jumps up, game over, they lose. He throws his batting helmet down and starts weeping. Let the whole team down. And I'll never forget the picture I had in my head of he, he walks over to one of the coaches, which I believe was his dad. And in that moment, the dad just opens up his arms and the kid just collapses in his daddy's arms. And I believe that's a picture of the welcome that God has for you and me. I believe that all of us need to come to the reality that we've blown that stop sign so many times. And I don't know how your week was, but I believe that the grace of God is enough and it is sufficient. And we are called to be a people, the more that we fall into the Father's arms because he's welcomed us, the more that we sing in harmony and the more that we find ourselves empowered for his work. And so as you think about this, as you reflect on these truths, my prayer is that above all, you would fall into the arms of the Father. Let's pray. Spirit of God, thank you for the reminder of your grace. God, we just wanna confess in this moment, we are prone to get hung up. Lord, I confess. I'm prone to my own opinions and my own beliefs that, I, that, I, that I'm always right. God, I pray that your grace would just continue to flow into this room. I pray that you would open up your heavens and that you would pour out your spirit into this space. And God, I, I pray right now for anybody who maybe they feel like they have screwed up in ways that are hard to even imagine. I pray that they would not leave without knowing that your grace is enough and that they would fall into, their, into your arms and they would believe in you that you do change everything. So have your way, God. Speak into your people. 
And help us, God, as we think on how we will respond to your word this morning. We love you. Thank you for welcoming us. In your name we pray. Amen.